music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Peter Hook, everyone on the Hivecast. Peter, thanks, man. You're welcome, mate. How do you feel like, Peter, you know, when you um, were immortalized in 24-hour party people? I mean, you and... Immortalized. Pete Shelley and Steve Diggle way. and all those, you know. That's a wonderful way of looking at it that way. What do you think of that? Uh, Mike, it Michael now? Winterbottom was very interested in the factory story because he felt that we'd made loads of mistakes but created something absolutely glorious. Yes, you did. Uh, and he likened it to an English farce. And there's a series of films in England called the Carry On Films. Yeah. Very jokey. Yeah. Right, and he wanted to do 24-hour party people like a carry-on film, Carry On Up the Factory, Yeah, was what he uh, subtitled it. Uh, so it was a sort of irreverent look at the whole things that we did. And it was very funny. You know, I mean, it was, it was odd because you, you, you'd be getting taxis around the world in Brazil or something, and uh, they'd say, where are you from? And you go, Manchester. And they'd go, oh, Manchester United. 24-hour party people. And it was amazing how far that film got around the world. It really was very, very successful. And it featured a lot of the old, you know, faces in the film. So it was very good. I mean, Control was the complete opposite. Yeah. Control was very serious. Anton is a real perfectionist. And he had a, a vision to tell the story, more or less, exactly how it happened. Yeah. Watching that and seeing isolation in that movie just, it just. It was true. Yeah, cut that, that bit when he tried to um, get us out of the studio was absolutely true. Martin hated Bernard and I in particular. He hated having us around because we were the only ones that questioned what he was doing. Yeah. And everybody else didn't say boo to a goose, but me and Barney were always on his case. Yeah. He hated it. Absolutely. Hated it. <laughs> yeah. You question him, but he was the guy with the, the equipment in the oh. studio, right? You know? Well, I mean, it was it's a funny one. I suppose you show your ambition very early. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Barney and I have always been very alike, hence the uh, the huge fallout. Like, we're still fighting like cat and dog. Yeah. He's still very, very obviously in competition with each other. Yeah. I mean, you guys are brothers been. and still... Well, yeah, I mean, I've known him since I was 11. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like... You do get less for murder. Don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's true. So, that's a different sentence. Yeah, and you know? uh, not that I'm considering murder, of course. Um, the the thing is, is that it's it's a very difficult situation to be in. You know, I mean, both of us obviously uh, love New Order dearly. Yeah, and that's what you're sort of fighting over, really, which yeah. is, is very sad, and it shows no signs uh, of abating because the refusal to meet and negotiate. Which it seems very odd to me. I mean, the, the the whole split thing was was very bad anyway, and it was bad yeah. enough that it happened. Um, the way that they resurrected the the group, in in my opinion, was was wrong. It was very unfair. And also, when you're getting divorced, you don't let your missus give you your alimony, do you? No. <laughs> you know, and that's the interesting thing. I mean, if you look at you know what those songs are and what you are. I mean, you know, your bass lines, I mean, obviously. Thank you. You know, mm -hmm. there are, are, you know, phenomenal, but there is a, certain people have, I mean, the Beatles had lead bass when McCartney played. You yeah. have lead mm -hmm. bass. Yeah. Uh, um, and I read that thing where you said, well, it was just because everybody else was so fucking loud. I had a, <laughs> 
you know, do you know what? I, it was quite <laughs> ironic, really. I paid um, $15 for my bass speaker. Wow. Right? Uh, and it was absolutely rubbish. I really don't know what I expected. It was the first one I'd ever bought in my life, you know, and the guy who turned out to be my old art teacher from school, funnily enough, who was in another local band called the Salford Jets, uh, he sold it me. Wow. And uh, it was rubbish. It really was awful. And the only time you could hear it for some strange reason was when you went high on the, the yeah. strings, on the low strings, you just couldn't. It was just, but on the high strings, you could hear it, and it cut through. And Ian loved it, and he encouraged me to do it all the more. Every time we came to rehearse or write, he'd say, play high, okay, play high, play high, that's the one. Drives it along, drives it along, you know. Um, so he was my greatest fan very yeah. early on. Uh, and that, that was where it came from. You know, it came from being um, and very enthusiastically pushed to do it <laughs> over and over again. And thank God, uh, as my mother did say, you, you do need a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, and that became the gimmick. I mean, it was, it's interesting in Joy Division because each member, uh, Steve, Bernard and I, brought a very individual way of playing. You did? worked together. There was nobody backing anyone. You know, you, you were all quite individual, but the, as soon as you put everything together, the chemistry was wonderful. And Ian loved it, you know. And it was, it's unusual, really. I'd have to say that in my career of 35 years, the only time I've ever felt truly comfortable with anything I was doing was in Joy Division, because everything was really balanced. Yeah. And everybody was focused, all going in the same direction. As soon as Ian died... The balance was off. It must have been just... It was very, very difficult. Unbelievable at that time. You know, closer, you know... Yeah, I mean, it was it was literally... But I, it's, it was an interesting way of dealing with it. I mean, what we did was, as soon as Ian passed, we moved on to something else. Yeah, and, and, you, it, did, and you did amazingly. never looked back, yeah. And New Order became much more commercially yeah. uh, successful. When it, I Jewish mean, from Dreams Never End to, like, you know, like mm-hmm. Age of Consent, like all those songs. But I, you I, did some good ones. You did some good yes, ones. How, did. You know, how do you feel like, for me, I was DJing clubs, you know, in the 80s. Blue Monday is probably, to me, one of the most signature and one of the greatest songs ever written for. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that moment. The, like, it's, it's interesting. I've caused uh, a Twitter storm, I believe, in England <laughs> by suggesting that uh, it's 30 years of Blue Monday this year. Uh, in March, I think, almost. Oh, wow. 30 years since we did it, and um, the record company were talking about doing some remixes. Haven't they done enough already? No, they haven't done any. Oh, they haven't? They no. have not wow. done any. The last remix that was done was in 1988. Yeah. Um, oh, it was the 88 version. It was on the best, the new order. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the, there are no authorized yeah. uh, mixes, and I keep saying to them, do some mixes. Everybody loves it when you do mixes, you know, on yeah. the sirens that we've just put out. I said, do some mixes. I don't understand why they don't, you know, put a bit more into it, yeah. into the product. And I thought that um, Stay With You should have been a single and it should have had a remix. And it should have been a whole single release. But they didn't, they didn't do it for whatever reason. Uh, Blue Monday, they were talking about doing some remixes for, to celebrate the anniversary. And I said, well, who have you got in mind? And he said, well, oh, I don't know. Who, who have you got in mind? And I said, well, you should go for the biggest Available people, Swedish yeah. House Mafia, yeah, Dead David Mouse, Goetta, people like that. Cal- Calvin loves Harris, it. Dead Mouse, yeah, yeah. So go for the big ones, yeah, you know, and you'll get a great commercial hit. Because the interesting thing about remixes 
is even if you ask the most underground guy in the Bronx, right, you don't know what you're going to get till he's finished it. And it could be bad just as much as it could be good. It's a real hit and miss thing to do a remix. Yeah. It's a very strange situation. And it seemed to me that people like David Guetta that have huge worldwide success are very influenced by it, very influenced by Acid House and house music and should, to me, be given a chance, just like the boys, you know, the, um, the up-and-comers. I yeah, I agree. And it seems to me that David Guetta and Calvin Harris in particular are always quoting Swedish house mafia, English house music is there. You know, yeah. Oh, of course it but is. But no, it's caused an absolute storm. Yeah. On Twitter, it's amazing that you can uh, you can still provoke people, and it seems that I'm not allowed an opinion now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love song. your opinions, man. You gotta. You and gotta you know, there's. No, it's it's amazing. You you look at all those singles. I gotta tell you something that uh, you and I were talking about. Like I remember being at the uh, new music seminar. I have this experience. I just have to tell you about because Arthur Baker came in with a box of Streetwise mm-hmm. test pressings of Confusion. Ah, right. And he said to me, look, if you stamp these, then you can take five of them. <laughs> it oh. was like, yeah. I was a kid, and I was like, and I stamped uh, the uh, test pressings of Confusion, and I was recently going through my vinyl and found oh, wow. uh, one of them there, and I, I was love like, Arthur. Wow. He really did teach us how to do dance music how did you like working with him at that point it was point? great i mean it, well it was it was very frightening because when the idea was um, brought up and it was brought up by michael Schamberg, yeah uh, a great friend of ours but he's very ill now unfortunately but he suggested that arthur was like a punk dance music producer and he said i think the two of you would work so well together so we came over to new york to work with him and he was very busy so he said to us go off and write some material um you know, and we'll work on it when I get there. So anyway, we he put us in a studio for two days and we literally jammed for 20 hours. Wow. And he had a stack of tapes like this. And we presumed that he was going to listen to them and pick out the best bits. And he came in and he said, "What? how's it going, man? What have you done? And we went over here. And he went, what the fuck? He said, you expect me to listen to this? I said, yeah, it's there. 20, it's always somewhere. ADHD. In, somewhere in Manhattan, there is 20 hours of New Order jamming circa 1982. That's amazing. Uh, on tapes. Because Arthur said, oh, man, I haven't got time to listen. We'll have to do it again. And he booked us in the studio. And we actually went in the studio on the day with John Roby and Arthur Baker and had nothing. Nothing. You, nothing. Had no, you didn't nothing have a song. Nothing at all. We didn't have a riff. Wow. And we all just sat there, and we were all walking around the studio just trying the different keyboards. Um, Arthur was working on an 808. Got some riffs going yeah. on 808. 808 State? Yeah. You know, 808 yeah. in the state. Yeah. Years later, it was Quebec, right? Yeah, we started putting some riffs together, and lo and behold, out came confusion. And also, we did a preliminary version of Thieves Like Us Which that is... we worked on with Arthur. And Arthur got the title, Thieves Like Us, was sprayed on a wall in Brooklyn that he used to pass every day on his way into Manhattan. And that's where we got the title from. Wow, I didn't know that. There was mm-hmm. a movie called that and a yeah, book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's amazing it came from. Yeah, that. I mean, he was, he's such a lovely guy, Arthur. He really is a nice guy. But the what struck me was his, his attitude to uh, mixing and producing was so off the wall. It was real punk. It was about immediacy, wasn't oh, it? It was just bonkers, you know, and everything he did, he did 
really, really extremely. And the engineer was forever reining him in. It was wonderful <laughs> to see because it, it was quite inspiring, you know, to, yeah. to watch him work. And he did some wonderful, wonderful work. It was a real pleasure uh, to do that. And he introduced us to so many people. I mean, it was funny because I was talking about the, um, he took us to the, the launch of New Edition. Wow, because yeah, they yeah, had those. they had their first single was on um, Streetwise. Yeah, I remember going because we had no money, and we were following the girl round with the uh, hors d'oeuvres, uh, following yeah. around <laughs> so that we, we could eat food. So yeah, so so we could eat, and this girl was getting really hung up because we were following around at this launch. And you, you know, you to get keep the grabbing. Food. Hey, I need yeah, another get, one. Get, yeah. I need another. <laughs> and Arthur was going, "What's the matter with you guys?" It was a very, very interesting thing. I mean, we used to spend a lot of time in New York, you know, at that point when we worked with Arthur, because the fantastic thing that I found was that the studios were working twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, and you had your slot, and r- literally, as your slot started, you walked in. The other band walked out. Yeah, it was hammer and nails you know and you were like whoa it was great i've never seen that it's almost like you know what you hear about with the brill building and like you know motown and where things were kind of like on a it was a real pleasure to do that actually we were scared to death before it but we actually loved it while we did it and learned yeah uh, confusion was a great thing because i i did the baseline i did a lot on confusion funnily enough i did quite a lot of the keyboards uh, on confusion and then arthur got me to put the bass on the end and uh, Bernard played the bass at the start yeah. of Confusion. And we used to swap at the end when we played it live because we played it at Paradise Garage for the first time. Oh, back then, wow. Yeah, yeah, because we, um, we did a gig there. Do you, you mean, how many people, you, you've realized how many people used your bass line from Age of Consent <laughs> and like a hundred other songs, right? Do you know what? Even I've used it. Well, right? yeah, I, even I used Age of Consent and turned it round. For a song called Way of Life. Yeah. Uh, another New Order song. Yeah. I turned it around and used it. I mean, uh, Age of Consent, this was the wonderful thing about it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been a very odd year, really. When I, when I think, because I sing the Joy Division songs, um, I don't get to play the Joy Division bass lines. My son plays it. He plays Your the bass. Your son plays? Yeah, he's 23. He's God, the same age amazing. as me. Wow. And he plays bass. When you played back then? like Yes, yeah, same age. Exactly the it's same. Unbelievable, it is, man! I do. You get look some over very, at him and just go, "It's my kid. I love him." I mean, I, I, I can't believe I, he's on stage. I with get me. some very strange moments. Yeah, I mean, you look at him, so you got much like me. There's always the odd <laughs> shiver down the back of the spine. Yeah, it's and, gotta be. Yeah. Know? So in the light, he plays the Joy Division bass lines. Wow. And I sing the lyrics. Right now, you've got New Order reforming, and they've got their guy playing the bass line. So you've got two bands going with my bass lines in that I don't play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is absolutely kinda, weird. Yeah. So it was quite interesting to do movement as we did last week in England and Power Corruption and Lies in their entirety. You did Power Corruption and Lies? Yeah, too. we did it. Yeah, wow. It was fantastic. It was great to do the intro to 586 and play Ecstasy, which I think was the first time we'd ever played it. Wow. You know, we never played it um, when we were New Order. So it was great. And to play Age of Consent again. That's After amazing. all that time, I really do felt like I'd had my wallet stolen. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'd found it. it. That was how good it felt it, to play it again. It's the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. I mean, there's so many. Um, you look at all the songs that you did over the years. One of my questions, which it may seem a little odd, but every little counts. Mm-hmm. I love that. And. Bernie's laughing in the beginning of the lyrics, and you guys, yes. was it kind of a I think funny a moment pig. in the studio? You should be in a zoo. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those five o'clock in the morning 
couldn't get a lyric. <laughs> and we tried it, and everybody just burst out laughing, as did Bernard on the tape. And I think you are a pig, and then he laughs. It's so yeah, it was so <laughs> endearing. But, you know, the only trouble with when you put a joke like that and you commit it to tape, you're stuck with it for the all the time. Yeah. And it did make me wonder sometimes uh, whether we should have been more serious about that because it's such a beautiful song. It really was. It really I mean, the melody is amazing. Wonderful it's song. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, very, very. One of Bernard's greatest keyboard riffs, I have to say. Yeah. That one. It'd be well, nice to play it. Hey, you know, the, the interesting thing about me playing all the LPs is, is that all these songs that you know, you've never been heard for years and years and years will all get. Uh, an airing. Which I think is amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm looking forward to doing Thieves Like Us very, very much. Yeah, you got I to. I really am. And, yeah, you know, and everything's gone like green and counts. Temptation. We do, every, sure. we do everything's gone green. Temptation's Temptation also one of the greatest. As well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, you, you have that gap where New Order were away. Uh, there was no New Order for five years. And then all of a sudden you got two <laughs> yeah. white buses. Yeah. Two come at once. So yeah, When you guys recorded nice. Temptation, because there, there, there was a seven-inch version, then there was a... Yeah, there were the, like three versions. The twelve-inch version was the one that we did first. We did the seven-inch version. I think was done for a foreign um, seven-inch. I don't think we did it as a. My mind won't go back to that one. I'm not too sure we did it in England. We may have done it for a special occasion in England. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be a seven-inch single. It was just a seven-inch edit for some reason, which I can't quite remember. But it's a great song. I mean, it's, it's great. It's really weird singing. The new order. Are you singing that song I'm when you did it live? God, that's great. It's absolutely bizarre. You know that uh that that lyric in that chorus. Mm, yeah, I mean, and it was you know, heaven's a gateway of hope. Those lyrics are fucking the, great. Yeah, yeah, we did a good Bernard did a very good job. We, <laughs> yeah. We at that point we used to write all the lyrics together. You know, we'd all sit there and barnstorm. Really? All four of you would? Uh not not Gillian. But uh, it was me. You Steve and Stephen and, and Bernie, yeah, we'd, would sit we'd there. Do the lyrics. Wow, I had no idea. That's yeah. I mean, it was it was it changed later on. Bernard decided he wanted to do it on his own, which was fair enough. Yeah, it's a very personal thing, lyric, lyric writing. So we came round to it. But most of the early stuff, he did them on his own on technique. I think. Regret that. was that? Did he write those? Yeah, he did. Regret. Mm -hmm. That was the. To my mind, regret was the last great New Order song. Oh, it's one of my because faves. Republic. Yeah, on Republic. It didn't actually sound to me like a complete New Order song. It was it was a very bad time for us as a group. We were uh, we only did it and were sort of blackmailed into doing it to save the Hacienda and Factory Records, and it didn't work. It didn't work for either. So it was a whole pointless exercise. But um, it was the first time we'd worked with a producer, which was Stephen Hay, and the whole thing was very very fractious, and we really couldn't stand each other. It was a very difficult time. We actually split up and then came back together to do that to bail out. Uh, oh, see, and you could tell, it. yeah, you, you could you could tell that it was it was a different feel. And but that Stephen, song in particular, though, on that record, oh, it's is great. such it's, a great. It's tune. The last I yeah. do count that one as the last New Order song. I almost feel like it, it's a plea for like a, a, a desperation of life, like you know that whole. I would like a place I can call my own, you know, like have a conversation on the telephone. It's about that. The, the strange know. one with that one, it was, it was <laughs> one of the only songs that Rob Gretton, our manager, didn't like. He didn't like it. And that was very, Because it was so unusual. open and honest. It was I no almost idea. like. I have no idea. He, he wouldn't explain it. He just never liked the chorus. He always felt that we could do a better chorus. 
And a lot, we were mystified. He just did not like it. Man, I, lo- I think the song's genius. It's, it's great. a great song. And great <laughs> you know? guitar riff. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah. But, well, I mean, it was, it, was, it was an interesting, it was, my God, we've, had a, long, we've had a long career. Right, you have. Oh, and a great oh, yeah. one. You know, you and I yeah. sit next to each other in, uh, in these chairs at the New Music Seminar in the 80s. <laughs> Peter, it's so great to have you here. Lovell Terrace Apart mm-hmm. is, um, you know, really honestly lyrically and musically one of the greatest love songs ever written it's, and about how is it as you hear that now like tell me about when when you guys actually worked it out when, when you played it, it was maybe. recorded in the rehearsal room we had in manchester and it was done over two sessions of about an hour so it was actually written in about an hour and a half three hours start to finish did he and ian brought the lyrics in yeah ian brought the lyrics in the second one so yeah. we did an hour and a half where we got the bass and the drums. Uh, Bernard put some keyboards on it. And the next time we got together, Ian had the lyrics and he'd done it. Um, it's a really bittersweet song because it's very poppy and very bright and optimistic sounding. But when you listen to the lyrics, they are very bitter, very dark yes. lyrics, uh, very clever and a real broken love song. Yeah, I mean about. I mean, it's a the absolute to me. One of the it's it's, it's written it's like written it. about heartbreak yes. and hopelessness. I and, wouldn't like it written about me, to say the least. Yeah, it was it was that that one. I found his lyrics to be particularly uh, disturbing and very personal. I mean, obviously, you know, he had been going through the things he'd been yeah, going yeah, through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when when he it's when unusual he to see it, something so direct. Yeah, you know, like whoa. Holy, yeah. That was frightening. But we, the, the juxtaposition of the very, very bitter lyric to the very bright, poppy song was, you'd have to say, perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't plan things like that. Yeah. And as Pete Savile, our designer, said, it was the, um, the perfect next step for Joy Division because they were a fantastic group and now they had a hit single. Yeah. And it was it's amazing to think you did it in three hours. Wow, that's you know, amazing. And I mean, how bright and how it's now a Manchester anthem. Yeah. And you could guarantee that whatever age you put it on when you're DJing, yeah. however young the audience are or old, everybody loves it. Everybody does. One of those songs like Wonderwall. Yeah. That just says it's like everything that. about Manchester. Yeah. Manchester's oh. such a. Think about it. Oh, Peter, Peter when God. you look back like Hollies. Um, you yeah, know, like it was all very the, strong in the 60s. Buzzcocks, you guys. Yes. And then in the 70s, it really launched world domination. Yeah. And unfortunately, it still keeps it now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean Rose the, the Roses and yeah, I mean, fucking the, Oasis. Roses it's all back. great, right? But if you, if you look at bands <laughs> like uh, I Am Clute, uh, Elbow, Everything, Everything. That same Deep Water as You song is brilliant. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, the, there are some great groups again in Manchester. It seems unable to relinquish its hold. Yeah, in the top musical city yeah. in the world. Hey, really? Pretty sure, yeah. it's in the world. Yeah, I mean, you guys—I don't know what it is up there, man. I've no, I, oh, you know what? I, I do wish I knew, man. I was up I'd there with Elbow and, 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 uh, and Longview, and I—I uh, and I just uh, I was really happy to be there and experience because mm-hmm. I had not been there before. The strangest thing is, is that there's nowhere that celebrates the. Uh, there's no uh, museum, or there's no. Walk of Fame. There's no Wall of Fame. There's no stars on the floor. We don't even celebrate our musical heritage, and uh, that, that that was the interesting thing about opening the club, which was in the factory office, to celebrate the heritage 
Yeah. And Manchester was damning in its um, its verdict. You know, you shouldn't be celebrating our heritage. Isn't it, it, it's interesting. Uh, and Liverpool and places like that in the north of England. They like, do it a you lot know, more yeah, than, than oh, we do. They, yeah. they, they celebrate their, their heritage very much, probably because they've had nothing since. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, Manchester, I mean, like even the laws that won records. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, I've, I've got a lot of friends from Liverpool. Pete Wiley's a great friend of mine, and he's such a character. And but the oh, you did you know him? Were you guys friends in the yeah, law days? Yeah, we've been friends for a lot. I, I've been in a band. like seven minutes to midnight. You yeah, were like hanging I've, out. I've like been that. in a I've been in a band with Pete Wiley about oh, six times. Wow, and it's never got anywhere. Well, he was in the crucial three, right? Like <laughs> yes. he did that thing with Julian Cope, and yes, you know, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Ian. It's never come to fruition. And Mac. Occasionally, he'll uh, we we actually share money. Was it now, was it too many egos in one band? <laughs> He wrote some, uh, an, an I ego, love Story of the Blues, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, oh man, it was a great LP. And Ego as Big as Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, that one. But I mean, yeah, they're, they're great characters because on Freebase, we did a track with Pete Wiley. Oh, you did? Fantastic. Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really good track. And it was lovely to see him. He's got a great voice, too. Yes. You know, he's a. He's a real character. I mean, he, yeah. he's, he, he sort of buried himself in the, um, the campaign yeah. to get justice for Hillsborough. Yeah, and they've they've just managed to do it in England now. The the, the Hillsborough inquiry has been finished, and it's finally coming. And it looks like justice is going to prevail. And that's fantastic. Pete, a lot of it was down to Pete, which is wow. was, was was very good. He's a great great man of the people. Yeah, Maybe. I had no idea about that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What do you think of like when you hear covers of songs like "Dead Souls" by Nine Inch Nails? <laughs> I think uh, they did a Nine Inch Nails was an interesting one because we were actually asked to re record "Dead Souls." All of for the crow for the crow, uh, and Bernard didn't fancy it. I can't remember why now, but we didn't do it. And um, Nine Inch Nails did it, and it was amazing because I heard Nine Inch Nails version, and, and I'm very fond of the band. I'm a, fa- a fan of Trent, and um, it sounded just like ours. It did, it was yeah, very very close, and in in many ways. It was like he was sort of scared to change it. Yeah. Fantastic oh. song. I mean, I can't believe we gave that song away. Yeah. On the limited edition single. Yeah. Like, that's the way he nailed it on yeah, there. It's fantastic. Very great, much. Great like song. I mean, I play that as well, which is a great song. I'm so glad you're doing that. Yeah. Let's talk about the book. So, oh, go on. how was that, <laughs> Peter? How was that to actually sit there at me and, like, to go through that? I mean, so many things have been chronicled, but it's... Now it's in your voice. It's the real story. I've done it once before with the story of the Hacienda. So yeah. I sort of learned how to tell the story from a book point of view. And I was also confident that I could do it. Remembering it, we've, we've, we've talked about the history of Joy Division a lot in interviews. Bernard, Stephen and I. So you, you, you had gone over it over and over again in many, many occasions. You've also contributed things to other people's books interviews where you've done a lot of the work already so it was it was always there um a lot of the fan sites on the internet were very very good for referring to for the gigs uh, and yeah. they had a lot of um reminders of things the venues the hotels even that we were stayed in while we were there something you forgot because you're living something it right I forgot. <laughs> my god there's no chance they, they were very thorough so it was actually easy to use them and um, your memory was very refreshed right the way through. I mean, it's the most important thing that's ever happened to me, Joy Division. It set the template for my life. Unknown Pleasures has given me everything. You yeah. know, Bernard, Stephen and Ian, yeah. they really did give me everything. 
you know. Yeah. I'd like to think that they recognize that I gave them the same way, you know. Without the four of us, it wouldn't have happened. We were all as, as important as each other. Uh, so the story was easy to tell. I mean, what happened was was that I just read one Joy Division book too many. Uh, I was reading these odd Joy Division books. And People who didn't really know what the fuck no, they were talking yes. about. Right? I mean, you know, it's, it's <laughs> you a gig. Know. I understand that. It's a gig, and that's fine. Uh, and it, it was just one too many. And, and you're I like, thought, fiction, let me do my thing. Yeah, I thought it was odd that they also, they always pandered up the dark, intense, brooding, you know, uh, black and white Manchester side of it. And really, it's not exactly how I remember it. I mean, I remember having a lot of fun, uh, very hard work. And I remember Bernard, Stephen, uh, Ian and I as being quite funny guys. And laughing and hanging out. Yeah, and, and enjoying what we were doing. We, we were serious when we worked. But when we didn't work, to be honest with you, we, we were wild. You know, was, and I felt that this story was, was lacking. And we have alluded to it over the years. So it wasn't like you were betraying any confidences. You were actually just doing a concentrated book about that period. Uh, and I was careful that I didn't want to debunk all the myths. I think Joy Division are very special. And I think that they're very, very serious. And what we did, creating the music that we did in the short period that we lived, which was only two and a half years, start yeah. to finish, it was so short. And to have the effect culturally and musically you've had since then, which shows no sign of diminishing, now, even now, groups come along, like The Killers, as we were talking about with the Control soundtrack. You know, it's such a wonderful um, nod from a band that I love. I love yeah. The Killers. I, I always have done, ever since they first appeared. And the fact that they got their name from The Crystal video. Yeah. And Brandon has become um, a, a, a friend, you know, to us. Bernard was, um, was going to sing with them when they were at Manchester recently. And I went along to see him because I, I got the shock of my life. I went backstage to say hello to Brandon. Uh, and there was Bernard's name on the dressing room door. <laughs> like, What's that bastard doing here? Yeah. Uh, and he, he Did was they getting sing up together? And, no, no, because uh, the gig got cancelled because Brandon oh, lost his voice. With his voice, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how nice audiences are now because it was sold out, 17,000 people. Brandon lost his voice. They cancelled it after two and a half songs. And all the audience just filed out very peacefully. Yeah. Going, oh, I do hope Brandon's all right. You know, and I was like, going, "Where's the riot, man? Let's burn the place down!" Yeah, you know, I mean, how, days, how amazing is that? Oh, that's great, unbelievable. I don't know whether that's just a middle class audience for you. Ah, but, maybe um, it's just people that are rooting for them. You I'm know, definitely, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. But there's me thinking this is going to be a great riot. You know, yeah, and it just didn't happen. But no, I mean, it is wonderful when people that you you enjoy as much as you do now are so in awe of how you were thirty years ago, and I'm very very grateful for that attention. But now we've had, we've had a great time. Yeah, no, it's we been have. amazing. So, Peter, I just want to say thank you so much for you're coming, welcome, man. my friend. It was lovely. It was to so see good you. to see you again, and I'm glad your credentials work. Yeah, they work. <laughs> I got in the door, man. <laughs> Peter Hook, everyone on the Hivecast. Thanks so much. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.